0: Welcome to the podcast. We are here today with Jeff Olson, and it is creating confident communication. And today, Jeff, we are so thrilled. Jeff has been a friend of mine for, gosh, I think we met about 10 years ago. And my husband and I absolutely love the story and used to live close to me here. So we bought the books and just so grateful. And I just wanted to say that we're honored to have you here and just so grateful to hear a little bit about your story and how you've been able to come to a space to be able to have confident communication. So would you take wow. a moment and tell a, bit, a little bit about you and your journey for those that don't know?
1: Well, thank you, Telly, And it's a pleasure. It's an honor to be with you. And, and it's easy to communicate with friends. It's nice to see familiar faces on the other end of the podcast. Um, Yeah, my story. Wow, the story. And um, it's now been told thousands of times. But it all begins with a normal, happy family man that had a horrible automobile accident. Um, We could go into all the details. It was a single car rollover. It crushed both my legs. My left leg was amputated above the knee. It broke my back in two places ironically not damaging the spinal column I still have full use of well part use of my limbs uh, in crushing the legs the left leg was amputated above the knee my right arm was nearly pulled off I have about 50% use of that my uh, rib cage was damaged my lungs were collapsed the seatbelt cut through me and ruptured all my intestines but the worst part of the accident was my, my wife and youngest son were killed instantly in the accident. They sustained injuries that they did not survive. And, uh, me and my oldest son, who was only seven at the time survived. But the, the profound thing about this is at the time of the accident, I had what they call a near death experience or an out of body experience. I suppose the accident killed me too. Um, The car had rolled and I blacked out for the rollover. But when the car came to a stop, I was, you know, very aware. And the first thing I heard was my oldest son, Spencer, age seven, crying hysterically in the back seat. And my first thought as a father is, I've got to get to my boy. I've got to get to my son. But that's when I realized I could not move. I was pinned either to the floorboard or the seat. I couldn't tell. There was the rancid smell of gasoline, all the broken glass. Um, I was unaware of my injuries in that moment. I just wanted to get to my boy, but realized I couldn't move. And yet it was in that moment that I realized also that no one else was crying. And um, it's still difficult to talk about. But in that moment, I knew that my my sweetheart, my wife, was deceased. And I also knew that my youngest son, who was just a toddler, was deceased, And it was the worst, darkest place a man could probably ever be. Um, Half the family's passed. I've got a hysterical child in the back seat. I'm struggling to gain consciousness or to maintain consciousness. I was blacking out, trying to breathe. I was struggling to breathe. But also just the absolute horror that I was driving the car. You know, there was reports of crosswinds. There was reports of a red uh, pickup truck driving erratically on the interstate. I don't know for sure what happened, but in my best recollection, I may have dozed off at the will. I might have just nodded off, swerved to the right, overcorrected to the left, and lost control of the vehicle. But the bottom line is here I was half the family's gone. My son's hysterical. I'm losing consciousness. And in that darkest moment, light came. And words are sometimes difficult, but light came, like tangible light came and surrounded me. And it felt as if it was comforting me in this horrible, horrible situation. It felt as if I was delivered or rose above the accident scene. And I was wondering, how can I be okay? Suddenly I could breathe. The pain was gone. I thought, how can I possibly be okay? It was a little bit of a confusing, what's happening? But there was so much love. This light seemed tangible. And then suddenly in this light, my wife, who I knew was deceased at the scene, she was there. And although I believe what happened is my soul had left my body, I've never had more physical experiences than out of the body. I mean, she was there and she was so present and she was gorgeous. There was no injuries from the accident, but she was emphatic that I could not stay. She's like, and she was, she was literally crying. She was emotional. She's like, you got to go back. You got to go back. Um, And when I say so physical, I could feel her like she was hitting my chest saying, you got to go. You got to go. You can't stay. Then she would grab me and pull me close and, And I mean, it was this, it was the most profound goodbye I'll ever say. But we literally got to have a conversation that if I stayed with her, our seven-year-old would be orphaned. And um, we made a deal. She couldn't go back. She wasn't coming back, but I could. And we decided and chose that I would come back and uh, not leave our oldest son orphaned. And um, I have no concept of time in this bubble of light. I said the most profound goodbye I'll ever say. I I later found out people arrived at the scene. My seven-year-old was banged up a little bit, but basically walked away from the accident. The two family members, my wife and my youngest son, were deceased. And ironically, a doctor arrived at the scene and was able to take care of everything in a professional and honoring way. I had to be extricated from the car and I was uh, life flighted or airlifted to the closest level one trauma center. I didn't know any of that. I knew I'd crashed the car. I'd said the most profound goodbye I'll ever say. And when I said that goodbye, and and we have no idea how powerful our thoughts are. I didn't have to figure out how to leave. I didn't have to figure out when I when I decided, okay, I'm going, boom, suddenly I found myself or my soul i should say moving about the hospital this busy level 1 trauma center seeing the doctors the patients the nurses the families of the patients it's like i had a 360 awareness of everything and everyone specifically everyone i mean every body i encountered and they seemed to be completely unaware of me i i knew them I knew everything about them. I knew their love, their joy, their pain, their challenges, their motivations. Um, I knew them perfectly and I felt this absolute connection. They were me and I was them. And I, you know, I grew up in a conservative Christian home. A biblical verse came to me as I was seeing these people in this profound, unconditional love. For instance, a nurse passed by and, and unaware of me in that moment, in that second. I felt and experienced as if it was my own the abuse that she had received as a child—the physical, emotional, sexual abuse—and yet in that same instant, I, I I felt her magnificence. It's like, wow, look—you know, she's here, serving, healing. I mean, it was this—it was this profound thing where I knew everything. There was absolutely no judgment, and there was this divine connection. I call it a oneness. And this verse that came was the famous verse where Jesus said, in as much as you've done it unto one of these, you've done it unto me, which I used to believe was a nice verse about being nice. But in this moment, that just expanded to, oh my goodness, they are me. And I am them. And I see the divinity within them. It's almost this namaste. It's like, Jesus was saying, "I am the beggar on the street. I am the man in prison. I am the stranger that simply wants acceptance." And it was it, it changed me forever. Talia, I, I will never be the same because I saw souls differently, and uh, finally come up to just Wonder for one
0: second if we all could see people that way. I mean, the emotion I feel as you're sharing this, and we're talking about connection and confidently communicating with others. If we could see them the way that you were able and the way you describe it makes me feel like what if I could look into someone's eyes and not see what's on the outside, the tattoos, the trying to fit in the crate. I mean, whatever, but see them for who they really are. Wouldn't our relationships change? Anyway, I just, that's such a beautiful thought.
1: Well, it certainly changed me and it is a beautiful thought and it doesn't happen to me every day. I mean, I, you know, I, I experienced it. But there's, gosh, there's a at every performance. I don't know that it's in the book, but Les Miserables at the end of the play, there's a there's a there's a, a a passage that says, "To love another person is to see the face of God," and and that's what I was experiencing. They were divine. I was divine. We were all part of that divinity. And and I think the challenging thing, and we'll talk about this later, is to see it in the mirror. You know, to look at ourselves and say, wow, because as I had this experience, I finally came up on this body that I didn't feel anything from. I thought, well, that's weird. And so I stepped closer. But that's when I realized, oh, my gosh, that's me. Except that was not me. I I was having this profound connected experience. But that was my body. That was the flesh, the skin suit that I'd been roaming around mortality in. And that, that was a humbling thing. Um, I became acutely aware of the magnificent machine that our bodies are. You know, I'm looking at that and one
0: way of how to explain that a little bit. Like
1: well, okay, so I had always taken for granted. I mean, I'd been a Division I athlete. I didn't have to teach my eyes how to see or remind my heart to beat, or tell my lungs to breathe fresh air, and my feet just knew where to go. I and yet here was, I, I was looking at this flesh mound and it was so profoundly broken. And there was a sadness of, I, I didn't realize, I didn't realize what a gift, what a beautiful gift the body is. What a machine to have this experience in, you know, and we, again, like, you know, the flesh is weak and the body's, you know, not divine. And I'm like, oh no, 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 no. The whole opposite became true to me. It's like, wow, that is a temple. You know, that is the temple. That's That's where uh, we as divine come to dwell, right? And so there was this profound awareness looking over my body. And then once again, I knew I had to get back in. And our thoughts are so powerful. It's like, okay, I'm going in. And then, boom, I was back in the body, which felt like a lead suit, so heavy. And back to all the pain, the trauma, the grief, the guilt. Regret. Uh, I was in the hospital for almost six months. I had 18 surgeries for a good eight weeks. I was in ICU. I was ventilated. You know, the machine was doing the breathing for my lungs. I couldn't move my legs. I couldn't move my arm. They tied down my left arm because I kept grabbing at all the medical equipment. But I learned a lot in the hospital of being still (laughs) and, and contemplating not only the accident and everything that had happened, but this profound out-of-body experience and how to make sense of that.
0: Well, that's absolutely amazing. I can't even imagine because we only know what we know until we have an experience like that to see things in a totally different way. It's absolutely incredible. Well, I do have a question. When obviously we're going through all of these things, took a long time for you to heal. When would you say that you had felt this call or this urge to start even talking about it, like sharing or speaking, or I would love to know how that happened. You were just trying to heal and and work through this new body of yours, right?
1: I I was. And in fact, and and it's a, I'll, I'll paraphrase it briefly. I was in the hospital for so long, and there was profound experiences all through the hospital. I had an experience, an out-of-body or near-death experience at the end of my hospital stay. And it's probably worth mentioning the profound experiences were at the accident scene before morphine and narcotics were all administered. And then at the end of my hospital stay, when I was out of ICU, I was out of surgical recovery. I was in the rehabilitation wing. I wasn't even on narcotics anymore. And I did get to peek into those heavenly realms if you do. In fact, I, I don't... There's no word to describe it. The only word I've come up with that can describe where I went was home. I went home. I mean, I in this last experience, I was sleeping, I felt the light come again. I rose above the hospital bed. And this time the, the light dispensed. I was in this magnificent place. And for me, it was this meadow with you know waist-high grass. And and yet I began to run. And I with I don't run in this realm, but there I was running. And when I say physical, I could feel the energy of the ground beneath my feet. I could feel the intelligence in my calves and thighs. It was more physical than anything I've ever experienced in this realm. And I had the beautiful opportunity to, um, to say goodbye to my little boy. And uh, I still tear up. It's been 26 years. But I held my little boy. And as I held him, I felt this magnificent divine presence. It was so overwhelming. I, I call it God. <laughs> and uh, um, as I held my little boy and I, I still had the guilt, I thought, oh, my what gosh. What was his
0: he... name? What was his name?
1: Griffin. Griffin, Griffin was my son's name. Um, I thought he's here because I crashed the car. You know, his life was cut so short because I overcorrected and I'm feeling God come closer and closer and I'm weeping, holding my little boy, thinking I really get to be with him. And I I mean, it was so physical. I was kissing his face. I even I smelled his hair. I don't know if you've ever smelled the hair of a loved one, but I'm like, it's him.
0: Well, yes, and, my daughter, she's three. So I know. <laughs> okay.
1: As this presence came closer, I had the thought, I hope I can be forgiven. Um, so much guilt. And this felt physical too. These divine arms just wrapped around me. And there was this download of communication and there's nothing to forgive. Everything's in divine order. I saw my life. I I know the cartoons say your life flashes before your eyes, but I saw my life. And I, I said to God, I said, I've I failed the test. That was a mistake. I didn't mean that. And this beautiful being that held me said, there are no mistakes. What did you learn? What did you learn? And I, I even said, look, I, I, that was wrong. I knew it was wrong. And I did it anyway. And it was communicated. That's your judgment of it, not ours. We love you. You're as precious and perfect and beloved and divine as that little boy you hold. So it was very magnified. I'm holding my son, being held in the arms of a divine creator. And uh, when I said I failed the test, and I, I, these things you don't forget, I was told, oh, my dear son, life is not a test. It's a gift. It's a gift. All of this has been a gift from pure love. Anyway, there was so much love. And I was given the opportunity to give my son back to God. To And this was crazy. And I'm getting to why I ever decided to share this publicly. This was all so juxtaposed in many ways to a belief system or the norm. God told me, I want you to exercise your will. And I was like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. It's It's your will be done. What do you mean my will? And this beloved being, God, said, my will is your will. That's how much I love you. My will has always been that you have free will. And uh, I was given the opportunity to kiss my boy and give him back, to exercise my will and hand him over to trust. And, uh, you know, and then back to the hospital bed. Now, I mean, the recovery, learning to walk again. I had a colostomy bag because of the, you know. I mean, there was so many physical things.
0: It's this it amazing years. experience that you can't even explain to being able to be like this is. But you had well, you got that amazing to see that bigger picture. What a gift
1: to. I, I did. I, I got to see a bigger picture. And it was very personal and profound. But I knew if I was loved that much, we all are. Every living soul in this whole creation, and I. This is the reason it was so difficult to share, though. I came home. I was still grieving. And I had these profound experiences, but I grieved like anybody else. There was so much healing to do. I was attempting to raise my son from a wheelchair. I was trying to get back to work. And I didn't want to talk about it to anybody. To get to your question, it's like, it took me a decade. I didn't talk about this. It took 10 years. Now, oddly enough, my immediate family knew. And a doctor in the hospital. This, this is really unique, but when I was life-flighted into the Level 1 Trauma Center, um, the attending physician, he's a fellow named Dr. Jeff O'Driscoll.
0: And I got his book, too.
1: Okay, so you know the doc. Um, anyway, he and a nurse had a profound experience while they worked on me. They experienced my wife's soul in the operating room, communicating to them, you know, you got to save this guy's life. But mostly her communication was the gratitude for what they were doing. She she had the big, she knew I was going to survive. We'd already made that deal, right? So she was sharing gratitude with them for what they had done. And they came and shared this with me when I was still in the hospital, when I was finally well enough to have a conversation. And that was profound. That was key because suddenly here's clinicians and they come and tell me about their profound experience. I haven't said a soul to anybody about mine. Right. And suddenly there was a safe space. I'm like, doc, I got to tell you what happened to me. And I thought if I'm nuts, he'll put me in the psych ward and get me the, you know, the help I need. But he listened. So he was the only person outside of my immediate family that had ever heard the story. And we became dear friends and still are dear friends. In fact, he was texting me today, wondering what the weekend was going on and if we could get together. But awesome. Anyway, that's that's a lot, but it took me it took me a decade to heal, and, and let me talk about that. I didn't want people to think I was crazy. I didn't want people to think I thought I was special in any way. And this all came about, and this might sound odd. I was teaching a little Sunday morning Sunday school class, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and there was many neighbors and people I knew in that in that little Sunday school gathering. And the topic was the love of God. And I couldn't even, I couldn't even, I just, I was weeping. I couldn't even get through it. And this was literally like nine years after the accident. So much had happened. I mean, I fell in love again. I got remarried. We adopted two boys. I'd attempted to rebuild a family, but I grieved for a decade. And, um, Tanya, my current wife, bless her heart. Uh, she took on so much. And, um, I'm in this Sunday school class, and I can't even speak about it. And one of our neighbors came up and said, hey, something happened to you, didn't it? And I said, yeah, but I don't talk about that.
0: Right.
1: And she said, I'm coming over tonight, and you're going to talk about it. And, of course, my wife, Tanya, is like, yeah, come over to the house. He, I, I know the story. because I." Yeah, was
0: her. this a younger, like a youth, or someone older? I no, she'll
1: no, this was a woman that's actually older than than we okay. were, not that much. okay. But she, uh, she just knew something had happened. So I told her what happened. She said, "You got to come talk to this guy at the university." I said, "No, I don't talk about this." She's like, "He studies this stuff." And sure enough, she introduced me to her friend, and he studied like, "What does a Buddhist experience if he has a near-death experience, or an atheist, or you know, how how is our culture or our beliefs drive an experience?" And he was doing research. He was a researcher. Wow. But as I talked to him. He said, look, you've got to come speak to our group. And I said, no, I know. I don't talk. He said, no, no, no. These people we gather in Salt Lake City. They're grieving. Many have lost loved ones. Many are in late stage cancer. He said, we didn't have a goth group of teenagers that comes who are just obsessed with death. So anyway, I, I acquiesced to go speak to this group. And I just cried the whole time. I don't know what I said. I shared the story. And then the guy in the back came up after and he said, you're going to write a book. And I said, no, I'm not. I can't even talk about it. And this was a Friday night. He got my information from the organizers. Monday morning, there was a contract in my email to write a book. So oh. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the accidental speaker author. Um, I didn't want to do it. I told Tanya, my wife, I'm not going to do it. And she she's a very spiritual being. She said, You haven't even asked. I said, What do you mean I haven't even asked? She said, Have you have you talked to God? You claim you were held by the big guy. Have you asked him? <laughs> and I said, no. So she took me to the scene of the accident in a very loving way. She said, look, just spend an hour here and get clear. And I got very clear. This is why I started talking about it. I was there alone on the side of the road 10 years after the fact, losing <laughs> you know weeping on the side of the road asking the universe god the divine creator whatever you want to call it having a conversation gosh there's a contract in my email this company wants me to write a book i don't want to do it i don't have to do it do i you know i mean this and i got a okay. profound answer i got it it's that voice that speaks to the heart i can quote what i was told And I was told, share your experience and others will heal. And I was like, oh, so it's this isn't about me. This is about other people. And I've experienced some healing. And so I went and signed the contract and wrote the first book, which I never fancied myself a writer. Um, It was funny. I submitted the manuscript to the publishing company and the President of the publishing company wrote he, he he called me back the next morning, and he said, "What do you mean you don't write?" <laughs> and I said, I said, "What?" He said, "I got the manuscript. I was up till four a.m. this morning. I couldn't put it down. You know." And, and anyway, I I still thought he was just flattering me. I figured my mom would buy a copy. What does it matter, right? But the book released. It hit number three in the first ten days on Amazon in the category, and suddenly. I was whisked into, because he had said, look, as an author, you need to have a website, blah, blah, blah. I was whisked into speaking literally all over the world. I mean, I was in London, Oslo, Scotland, Amsterdam, all over the United States. And it turned into a whirlwind book tour that turned into a second book, which was all about the healing. The first book was about the tragedy and the near-death experience. The second book was about rebuilding a life and uh gosh there was there was talk of a full feature film being done on the story i'm still friends with the publisher but i ended up buying all the publishing rights back um and wrote the third book which is called knowing and knowing is the compilation of the first two books with extended insights and deeper chapters and more of went on um but i was i was Tell you, I was springboarded into it I, I i didn't I didn't choose this. I just decided to in some ways do what I was told, and uh, the whole thing exploded. yeah,
0: you kind of just answered the call i I'm noticing the same thing as where I'm speaking to many on here. The hardest thing they ever thought they could ever endure has been their greatest message,
1: yeah. And, and
0: I felt the same way. I didn't want to talk about miscarrying all these babies and gaining weight to soothe myself and gaining 80 pounds over and over again. I felt like such a failure. Then I realized how many people turned to whatever to feel comfort and just want someone to be able to share their messages. And what a beautiful, I, I don't still, you, know, you think back of whoever that woman was that was so insistent. <laughs> she knew that, that that what you had was so powerful and she was the next piece to help you be able to do that. And I would never have thought that you didn't like writing. I, I loved, I've I read the first two, but I just absolutely love the way you write and it felt so real and genuine and authentic. So I just, I'm so grateful for you sharing this. The question I do have is along that way with speaking and sharing and rebuilding a life. I mean, what would you say were the times that you did struggle through that you wanted to quit, that you didn't want to keep moving forward? Do you feel like there was times? I mean, it probably wasn't all smooth sailing, right?
1: <laughs> no, no, and and I, I wanted to quit every other day. Um I I mean it it it's interesting. The the struggling years were probably the 10 years before the book. Right. I mean, this whole new Awakening, if you will, to the world. and you mean there's no <laughs> right or wrong it just is, and it's all about choice and we're loved beyond trying to fumble through all that. Um, that was challenging. i I couldn't have written a book until I got to the point where I felt that I could forgive myself. Now here's the crazy thing. I was held in the arms of God. I mean all the external forces had said, yeah, It's okay. But until I decided to heal from the inside out and forgive myself, that, that was the biggest struggle in those 10 years. Um, during the whole process, I mean, the travel, the, the, the soothsayers, the ones that, you know, that, I mean, and and it it was a phenomenon. I mean, suddenly, gosh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm all over YouTube and I'm waking up to 40, you know, uh, social media messages and, you know, there's everything from suicide letters to naked pictures. It's like, I don't want to, I don't want to live this way. And then I, I later found out people were stealing my image. They were putting it, they were building fake accounts. There was dating sites and people oh, soliciting wow. money for this poor guy with one leg. It was, it was Why, absolutely, why did that
0: happen? Just
1: sabotage kind of a. Sabotage. I have, I have no idea. I have, I, to this day, I have no idea, but. I um I've kind of backed off social media altogether. I'm like, look, the message is out there. The story is out there. And I'm being selective about what I do. Right. One of the most struggling moments, and I'll do this uh, briefly, is when my son, who had survived the accident, he was probably about 20, 19, 20. He came and he said, uh, Dad, you tell these amazing stories about being out of the body. You got to tell Mom goodbye. You got to tell Griffin goodbye he said, I got nothing. You know, he said, I, I was a little boy. I lost my mother. I lost my brother. I lost my dad. I lost you in many ways. You'd never be the same. And he said, I beat my knuckles bloody on that door you call God. And I never got an answer. And uh, that door never opened. And he said, "Either, either you're deceived in some crazy way or you're making it all up. Or if there's a higher power, it doesn't care about me because I was a little boy. You know, he said I. He said I begged every night just to see my mom, just to feel her. And he said I got nothing. And you tell these profound stories, and and it was that that, that drove me back to my knees. Um, I I said, God, give him anything. I'll give away all my experience. Give him something, anything. He was in a rock band. Half the band was going to jail for drugs. You know, I mean, it it was just it was.
0: He was trying to figure out, like, tell me so. And as a father, that's so excruciating.
1: It it was difficult. Now, here's the funny thing. I'll tell you, I, I don't talk to God every day, but on that night, I got another answer. And the answer was, why are you judging your son? Judge not that you be not judged your your experience was perfect for you and his experience is perfect for him don't you know i've got him i mean yeah he'll experience nothing but his roots will go so deep and 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 it was basically why like stop being arrogant why do you think your experience is better why do you think you should trade yours for his and why do you think so i was chastised in in many ways interesting thing about spencer my son he survived all that never got in trouble, became an amazing man. He's the most compassionate person I know. He said to me later in life, he said, Dad, you know, I know I gave you a bad time about this God door never opening, but he said, what if I'm God's hands? What if I'm God's light? What if I can be, you know, love to all those kids that don't get their answers? And we've just recently written a children's book. This is the fourth book, but we collaborated on it. It was written from his experience as a seven-year-old. It's called, Where Are You? And it's it's so tender. I mean, he's he's like, I looked for you in the kitchen. I looked for you in the garden. I looked for you in the sky. I looked for you everywhere and you're nowhere. And uh, the way the book unfolds, he finally realizes, but you know what? You live on within me because I'm alive. You live on within me and the way I live my life honors your memory and now you're everywhere. Now you're in the stars, the trees, the kitchen, the garden. Everywhere I look, I see you because we're connected. And I I helped illustrate the book and I collaborated with him. But we released that and that, which we did. I mean, some guys fish, some guys golf, some guys work on cars. You know, we, we wrote a book together. We had no expectation, but we released that. And it became an international number one bestseller. Oh and, and I, uh, we, I can't we,
0: wait to get my hands on that. That's the first time I've heard.
1: I'll say I'll send you one. But anyway, we had no expectations of that. But that's been a fun project. And we get so many. I mean, we thought we were writing a children's book. What we've realized is we wrote a book for anybody who misses somebody. You know, it it, it was embraced universally with all ages and all kinds of things. So I've talked so much. But, yeah, it took me 10 years to get to the point of sharing. And it wasn't without a kick in the butt from a greater power. And now in my old age, it's like, well, gosh, I, should have I done all that? I mean, I, I kind of want to live a private, reclusive life, and I'm doing that. I've moved the mountains. I've shut down social media. Um, but you know, you still get those letters. I got a, the, one of the first responses I got came in a, the, a letter from the publisher. It was in an envelope from the publisher, and uh, I opened it up, and there was a little three by five card inside of it with little hand scratching pencil. I had to get out the peepers you know, just to look at it. But it was from a prisoner. It was from an inmate in Vancouver who basically said, I lost my family too, not to death. They all left me. I did it. I've done this heinous thing. I'm serving time for it. But then he said, after reading your book, I realized I'm loved. I realized I can come out of prison a much different person than I ever was going into it. And I I thought that's the guy. That's that's the one I wrote the book for. You know, if others are gonna heal. I got an email. This was last week. And uh it was from a woman, I don't even know where she's located, but she had stage four cancer. She had tumors all over her spine. And she said she was watching YouTube and an interview with me came up that she didn't even she, she said, that isn't even my normal feed. She said, I'm a non-believer. But she said something hit me, and I started looking into this. Anyway, she's used the angelic realms and uh, angelic realms holistic healing. She says, "I am now cancer free," and I I had nothing to do with that. I I just said, "Physician, heal thyself." But she uh, she was elated. She said, "I had not seen your video. Based on your book, I would have never considered a greater power." So that's just two examples, and that's that's the payoff. You say, "Well, that's worth it."
0: Well, and Jeff, you know it's interesting because one of the last questions I really wanted to ask you is. You know, what would you say to that one person, that one person that and you're bringing up two individuals, but thinking of how many more there could be one that was in prison and one that, you know, accidentally came across you. But what would you say to the one that is sick or giving up hope or has lost their family and maybe is in the space you were in those nine to 10 years of the hardest times? What would you say to them to be able to? Uh, with their yeah. life, communicate. Yeah. Again.
1: It's, it, often you don't have the words. Uh, if I suppose I would say, keep breathing, you know, keep breathing. I, I, I've sat with people like that. And, and sometimes we just sit in silence and just hold the context, look in each other's eyes and say, wow, what a journey, you know, what a journey. But I would say, keep breathing, go to the next minute, And that might take you to the next hour. And that might take you to the next day. And the sun will come up tomorrow. And at some point, at some point, those bitter tears will turn into sweet tears. And you'll realize it's all love. It's all love. This life is a gift. And it expands our souls. We go through. We must have been crazy to decide, yeah, let's go do that experience. But it expands our souls. And um, we're better for it. I, I even look, and this was in the arms of God when I was looking at life, and I even look at my life now. I've you know, i done stupid things. I've made poor decisions, and I was talking to somebody about this, and I said, I would never do that now. And they said, isn't that beautiful? You've learned. You would never do that now. That's the gift. That's the gift. You've learned by your experience, and, and we're just getting better every day. So when it's in that dark night of the soul, keep breathing focus and you bring a tone to this whole universe. We are all so unique and so divine and whether it's, food is my vice too, you know, whether that's weight gain, whether that's miscarriages, whether it's a near-death experience or an accident or loss of a family or addiction, or I don't care how it comes. Our experiences are different, but our emotions are universal. We all know what fear feels like. We all know what, you know, what our emotions are, what connects us. Let the emotions inform you. Don't judge them. Be with it. And it will get better.
0: You know, I, I think everybody would probably say how grateful we are that you responded, that you wanted to be able to continually share after all these years. Um, you answered the call, even though, like you said, I... I didn't even want to do this. I was thrown in. <laughs> I think for those out there that feel, feel a call to want to share at some time. I mean, there's such a place for healing and grieving and getting through like you have and like I have and many others. But when there comes a space that you're like, I, I want to share this. If I can help one person or in your case, thousands across the world and internationally, it's worth it. And and today I just want to thank you for taking that time and and that's what we're doing today. And when we do this podcast, we are trying to reach out and create confidence and communication, one person at a time. And I just want to thank you, Jeff. I'm I'm so. I mean, I, it's like I'm living it with you. It's just the most beautiful.
1: <laughs> you you are living it with me. I read something yesterday. Oddly, you would bring that up, and I don't remember who quoted it. It was just on a meme, I suppose, but. It said, many people will die having never sang their song, having never let their voice be heard. And everyone has a powerful story. Everyone has a profound thing, even if it's their grief, even if it's their shame. And sometimes even if it's their joy, you know, it it informs us. We've gathered as humanity around the fire and told our stories forevermore. And it's important it's critical to humanity that we share, that we connect and that we open up. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to do that again. And thank you for all the people you inspire to sing their song and be their tone in the universe, be their melody.
0: I think that's the most beautiful phrase I've heard anyone say, because sometimes it's not about us, yeah. you know, it's not. And, 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 and we had, we had another podcast where Ben, Ben Kerr was on it. And he said, you know, just stop being selfish this isn't about you like you said it's about being able to help and inspire another person so if there's anyone that we we can get out and share our message then they can too you guys can do it too just one person at a time look them in the eyes and you have no idea the trials and the pain the things that you've gone through that can help affect someone else who's going through it right now so I'm just thanks again, Jeff. And I just want to leave you guys again that you can do this, that you can create confidently being able to communicate. Just start with one person at a time, one song at a time, one story at a time. And we love you. And we leave you today. And thank you. Share this podcast, you guys. We want to help as many as we can. Thanks so much.